You are listening to episode two of the Almost Sideways podcast. On today's episode, we will be reviewing some new releases, Detroit and Valerian and the City of a Thousand Planets, as well as some Netflix releases, The Incredible Jessica James and The Confirmation. We'll be discussing the career impact of Steven Soderbergh in The War of Steven Soderbergh. We will be doing a power rankings of Dustin Hoffman performances in honor of his 80th birthday. And our Oscar trivia today focuses on the 2015 Oscars. All that coming up next on the Almost Sideways podcast. Here we go. Give me a go, no go for launch. There is a new fiesta in the making as we speak. I was going to say something that was not true. Obviously, I agree. We are go for launch. Welcome, everybody, to episode two of the Almost Sideways podcast. I'm Terry Plucknett, and on the other side is my little brother, Todd Plucknett. Say something, Todd. Hello. There he is right there. Um, we had so much fun doing this the first time, we decided to keep going, uh, despite some better judgment. And, uh, we have some, uh, movie reviews for you, we're gonna have some fun. Uh, last time we started out by reviewing a movie together, uh, over the last two weeks, we haven't had a chance to see, uh, any of the same stuff, which is kind of a good thing, but kind of not. Uh, so we're gonna review some of the movies that we have seen, uh, Todd, are you excited for uh, doing this again? Yeah, hopefully we uh, can be a little more organized this time. It'll be fun. Yeah, yeah. Let, let's let's hope we we've ironed out some of the kinks uh, uh, this second time around. I love this movie so much. He saved the day. Movie reviews. So we're gonna start out uh, by reviewing. Um, I'm gonna review. The movie that I said last time was my most anticipated movie of the month of August, and that is the Catherine Bigelow uh, true story called Detroit. I went and saw this this last week. Um, it is a true story about riots in Detroit, civil rights riots in Detroit in the 1960s, and it centers on uh, one motel called the Algiers, and a conflict that happened there one night when uh, gunshots were heard, police came in um, and were trying to figure out what was going on. This movie is um, so intense and gritty, and you're on the edge of your seat this entire time as you're seeing really what's going on from both sides. What I love about it is Catherine Bigelow and Mark Bull, the writer, um, they've teamed up on some other films like The Hurt Locker and Zero Dark Thirty. What they're able to accomplish in this is they're able to accomplish a film about the civil rights era and the civil rights movement without taking a side. Um, you have these um, black residents of this hotel that are getting tortured by these cops that obviously don't like them because of their race but at the same time you see what's going on on both sides you see people on both sides um understanding the other's plight and in this moment in this night that you see there is so much um so much grittiness and so much 
anger at different times. Uh, absolutely amazing performances out of uh, John Boyega from the Star Wars movies. The most, uh, the most surprising one is Will Poulter, who has made the transition from being a, uh, a child actor in films like Son of Rambo and Voyage of the Dawn Treader to being the ringleader of this group of cops. Um, he's absolutely chilling in this role. Uh, he, uh, he's incredible. And you have um, some others. Anthony Mackie pops up uh, in kind of a smaller role. I was surprised he wasn't in more of the film. Um, and uh, a surprise appearance at the end by John Krasinski, which I wasn't expecting. But this film is just absolutely amazing. I can't think of a better film to come out um, with everything that's going on in our country right now. It was a the perfect film to come out at this time. And because of that, I think this is guaranteed to be in, uh, an Oscar nominee for Best Picture come, uh, come the start of the new year. It is the perfect film for the perfect time made by the perfect director. Uh, I'm giving it four stars. It's my new number one movie of the year right now. Absolute masterpiece by Bigelow. Um, highly recommend you go out and find it. Well, since I've not seen the movie, I, I can't really comment on that. I'm just curious. Uh, you think it's not uh, maybe too controversial or too timely to get Oscar nominations? Because a lot of times, uh, movies like that, the uh, the Academy's like sort of overlooks. I mean, even Zero Dark Thirty underachieved at the Oscars when that seemed like a slam dunk. Yeah. It underachieved, but it still got the nominations. I'm not saying it's going to win Best Picture, but it's it's guaranteed to be honored, especially with looking at you know making sure there's diversity in uh, in the Oscar nominations now. They're, that's something they really want to make sure is there. I think it's a film that's going to be impossible to ignore. Yeah, I'm, I'm really looking not, forward to not seeing only, it. Yeah, it's going to be impossible to ignore not only for its uh, for its subject content, but just because it's an amazing movie. Uh, it, it really is. Um, you're right there with them that entire time, and you feel for them, and you feel for both sides, and uh, yeah, just incredible. What I find interesting about this movie is I remember when it was cast... Uh, uh, a lot of these actors, I had no idea who they were when it was cast, and now, it, like, they're sort of stars now. John Boyega, Will Poulter, even Jason Mitchell from Straight Outta Compton. Like, I remember looking at this cast, I was like, well, Bigelow's last couple movies have pretty been pretty star-packed, and this one has a lot of, you know, lesser names, but now they've risen but even before the movie came out. And even with that, there's some, there's some uh, fresh faces that pop up that you haven't really seen in much, but... It's still, uh, it it it's almost better that way because then you're not distracted by oh look there's that guy from this thing that I've seen before. Anyways, okay, so... uh, highly highly recommend Re Detroit if you uh, if you can find it, go see it. Four stars, one of the best movies of the year so far. Okay, the best movie that I have seen recently is a Netflix original movie, maybe the best one that they've ever done, is called The Incredible Jessica James. It's directed by James Strauss, whose uh, previous films include a movie like uh, Grace is Gone with John Cusack. This movie is about 
a girl named Jessica. She's an aspiring playwright, and she is coming off a long-term relationship, and uh, she meets this guy, Boone, uh, by uh, through a common acquaintance between them, and they really were just meeting as a way to please her. They didn't really know that neither of them were really that close. And uh, he's also coming off a relationship, and... Uh, so neither of them really want to be there on this date, and so and they make that clear. So they're they're all just like brutally honest with each other, and it's really awkward and sort of interesting conversations at the same time. Like you don't hear people talk like that all the time, and they end up sort of forming a bond and like unexpectedly sort of like um, falling for each other, even though they don't really want to realize that they kind of do, and uh, the whole. Like, the rest of the movie is them sort of, like, uh, having this, like, modern relationship with all the technologies and stuff like that. Like, they they end up, uh, they think that they're friends, sort of, but they're also lovers, and they, like, decide that they're going to unfollow their exes on Instagram because so that they just stop obsessing over what they're up to all the time. And the, the other one is going to follow the other's ex on Instagram in case something, like, really, really big comes up, and they also, they end up sort of, like, being really interested in their ex. It's, it's a, it's a really interesting concept. It's a really good, like, New York movie, like, a, a modern New York movie. It almost feels like an old-era Woody Allen type. And, uh, the, the, the characters are, are constantly, uh, like, running into their ex, and, and it, make, it makes it this really strange, like, really tough relationship movie. And it, I don't know, I'm not really all that for rom-coms recently, or at all, in the modern era. But this one is actually really special and endearing. Chris O'Dowd plays the guy, and he's like a master of sarcasm and relatability. I've always really liked watching him on screen. And uh, the girl is a girl named Jessica Williams, who I hadn't, I hadn't seen in anything. And it's uh, definitely a breakout role for her. She's, she's really good and really interesting to watch. And, uh, it's also, Lakeith Stanfield is also in it, and he's sort of in everything now. Everything from Straight Outta Compton to Get Out and Atlanta. I mean, I've liked them ever since Short Term 12, but he's just popping up in everything. He plays, uh, Jessica Williams' uh, ex, and he, he's really good in this, and, I don't know. It's, I, I really enjoyed this movie, and it's really different, and I, I don't really, I don't really know what to compare it to. I... It's making a case for being around my number one of the year with My Life as a Zucchini and Baby Driver. I give it three and a half stars. Yeah, it also has, a, I see it has Noel Wells in it as well, with uh, who's uh, known for uh, being on SNL and also uh, Master of None with uh, Aziz Ansari. Yeah, she plays uh, Jessica's friend who you know, introduces the two. She's, she's really interesting. Okay. Good movie. So you're saying, it's you're an saying, easy movie to watch. It's on Netflix, and so it's not hard to find. I I really enjoy. Yeah, it. I love I love I love how Netflix puts out these films that and makes it so easy to find them and so easy to uh, to watch. You're saying it's the best film Netflix has put out. Yeah, I can't think of one that I don't I don't think I gave the have a rating to any of the other ones I've seen. I think number one yeah. on my well, list what, of what Netflix films right now seen, would I... probably Beasts of No Nation. Yeah, I did like that. I mean, that was obviously a more serious movie, but I... Yeah, very different feel. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that one also was somewhat of a disappointment to me, because I was 
so highly anticipating it because of Kerry Fukunaga and he had just come off, you know, True Detective and whatnot. But true, it is still true. a good movie though. Well, yeah, I've not seen the uh, the incredible Jessica James, but it sounds like a film that I need to go out and find. Um, and it it looks like it's a fairly short film, so it's not a not going to be a burden on your time. Um, yeah, I'll have to check that one out for sure. What'd you say your rating was on that again? Three and a half stars. I still do three not have a four-star movie this year, but I have a few pretty high three and a half stars, and this is one of them. Yeah, I've, I've been a little nicer on films. I think I've got I've got four four-star movies already this year. You're you're just you're just a little uh, harder critic than I am, I guess. <laughs> well, and I haven't <laughs> seen Detroit. That's true. That's true. It has a it has a potential for sure. Okay. Uh, I've got one more film that uh, I'm going to review for you guys, and that is the new sci-fi epic Valerian in the City of a Thousand Planets. Uh, this is a film where, when it, uh, when I first saw the trailer, I didn't really think much of it until it got to the end of the trailer and said, directed by Luc Besson. And I said... Oh well, then it might be worth checking out, um, and I was right. Uh, it's uh, it's a story of um, of Major Valerian and Sergeant Laureline, played by Dane DeHaan and Cara Delevingne, uh, and they are basically they're like space like army soldiers, spies, space ranger. They um, space ranger exactly. Uh, the premise is that the International Space Station that was started in the uh, in the 70s and 80s continues to develop and have people from all around the world living on it, but also have people from, or aliens from all across the universe starting to live on it. And they decide to push out on their own in, um, in hundreds and hundreds of years from now and are living in this space station that's kind of become a world of itself that uh, houses almost every type of life form in the universe. And um, Valerian and Laureline are two of the top operatives that work for this uh, universe-wide government as they go around and try and uh, take care of different things. Um, visually, it is absolutely outstanding, which is something you can expect from a Luc Besson film. The leads, Dane DeHaan and Cara Delevingne, are okay. It's weird seeing a guy like Dane DeHaan playing an adult role. He looks like he should still be playing high schoolers. But it works. There's kind of a forced love story that really doesn't work for me. and um, Luckily, they don't spend too much time on it. It just is like a, a throwaway line here or there that just makes you roll your eyes like, please just move on with the story because the story is actually really good. Uh, the universe that has created, it's based on a graphic novel. Um, the universe is really, really deep and rich. It was a really fun film to watch. I had a lot more fun watching it than I thought I was going to. I was surprised to see some of, uh, some of the... Uh, supporting characters you had clive owen in kind of a throwaway role it makes me kind of sad to see clive owen in something like that 
when he should be playing James Bond. Um, Rihanna has an interesting role, but again, it's not very long. Ethan Hawke is in this film, which I wasn't expecting until I saw him, and it took me a little while to recognize him. Um, but again, he's only in like five minutes. The majority of the film is following around Valerian and Laureline. This film, it's kind of a mix between The Fifth Element and Star Trek, where you've got um, elements of a film like Fifth Element where it's uh, this sci-fi but also kind of grungy and real like Luc Besson did in Fifth Element, but still kind of fantastical. But you have this rich universe-wide um, world that, it, that this whole thing is happening in. Uh, so I enjoyed it. It's not great by any stretch. Uh, I've got it at a low three stars. Um, definitely something that, if you're interested in it, it's probably worth seeing in theaters because of the visuals. Um, but it, it surprised me. It was better than I thought it was going to be. Yeah, I have not seen this movie, but... Uh, yeah, the, these types of movies are coming out a lot recently, the really big-budget sci-fi movies, and they're all sort of flopping. Like, this this sort of, when I saw the trailer, it sort of reminded me of, like, Jupiter Ascending or something like that. I mean, th that also was also a pretty big flop. This movie really hasn't made a whole lot of money. I find it interesting that Ethan Hawke's playing a pimp. That's that's pretty cool. And I see Rucker he, Howard he is. playing the president of the World State Federation. That's got to be a sort of a, I don't know, an, an Easter egg-type role because he's obviously of a uh, blade runner fame yeah and you've got you've got some other some other random ones like uh louis leterrier is in it for a uh, in a throwaway role there are a lot of just little bit parts everything really revolves around around the two leads um and yeah yeah ethan hawk is uh plays rihanna's pimp basically uh. <laughs> that sounds awesome <laughs> I didn't even know yeah, he was in the yeah, movie, and so. I didn't either, and it took me about five minutes to recognize him, and by the time I recognized him, he was off the screen. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it's it is it is a fun film. If you like if you like the Fifth Element, if you like uh, some of Luc Besson's other work, especially his sci-fi work, you'll most likely uh, enjoy and appreciate Valerian and the City of a Thousand Planets. What was your rating on that one? Three stars. Three stars. Three. Uh, it it was. It's a film that if it wasn't for Luc Besson directing it, it would not have been three stars. But his direction kind of takes it over the top. Um, like I said, low three stars, but not. Um, but still worth a seeing. Sounds good. Well, what do you got okay. uh, for us now, Todd? Okay, I watched uh, another movie that I, I caught on Netflix. It's called uh, The Confirmation. It's directed by Bob Nelson, who was the Oscar-nominated screenwriter for Nebraska. And, uh, I mean, it, this movie's pretty lousy. Uh, it's about a divorced father and his son who are, like, bond over trying to find a stolen toolbox. It, it like, tries to have, like, the that really minimal-type storytelling that uh, Alexander Payne was able to do in Nebraska, and it, it, I mean, it fails pretty much immediately, and I don't know, it's really predictable and soapy. I just, I just think Clive Owen is, I mean, he's kind of terrible in this, and I don't think he's really made a good movie since Children of Men and Inside Man back in 2006. Like, 
And he at least had the Nick uh, in that span, but I mean, nothing on the big screen that he's really done has been any good at all. Like, this is starting to... I mean, it's not, not a whole lot different than, like, The Boys Are Back or Trust or any of those, like, other sort of half-topical movies that he's been making. Like, uh, I don't know. Yeah, I think he's kind of getting boring on screen, and it's hard to do. He has such an interesting voice, and yeah, he probably should be playing Bond, but it, like, he, he really has not made a good movie in forever, and this movie is no different. I, I, I gave it one and a half stars, and that was a little generous, too. Yeah, I always thought Clive Owen was built to play Bond. And uh, especially this week as you have the official announcement from Daniel Craig <clears throat> that he'll be back as Bond. And I love Daniel Craig. However, Clive Owen needed to play Bond at least once. And to see that instead of playing Bond, he's gone on to make films like Duplicity and... I haven't seen this one, but it sounds like it's right or right down that uh, that vein as well. Uh, his ten-minute bit part in Valerian. Um, I saw another film of his a couple years ago called Words and Pictures, which was okay. It was a decent movie, but that's not the type of films that a guy like him should be making. Um, it's it's disappointing to see kind of where his career has gone. Yeah. So one and a half stars, you said, for the confirmation? Yeah. All right. I'm surprised it had it had your girl Maria Bello in it. Yeah. I mean, honestly, I haven't seen a good movie with her in a long time either, so... Probably since History of Violence, but that's a conversation for another time. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So, uh, to recap, uh, I'm giving Detroit four stars... And I'm giving Valerian and the City of a Thousand Planets three stars. And Todd, your two movies? Uh, the Incredible Jessica James is a three and a half star movie, and The Confirmation is one and a half stars. Both movies are available on Netflix. Gotta love Netflix. All right. We're going to move on to a new segment we have this podcast, and we're going to give it a try. And what we're um, one of the things that we like to do when we're talking about movies, uh, we're big sports fans, um, and we're recording this on Saturday, and it's a good day to uh, be a Seattle sports fan after a Mariner win and a Seahawk win. It's just preseason, but nobody cares that it's just preseason. It's a Seahawk win um, last night, and one of the things that we like to talk about um, in baseball recently, one of the big stats that has been... Uh, prevalent in the world of baseball is war which stands for wins above replacement so it's talking about how much better is the player uh, than who would potentially be replacing him and so we started talking about this in movies what would it look like um, what is a what is a an actor's war on a on a certain movie what how much better would he be than one of his replacements yeah but uh, for this particular case, we are using a director, so this would be a judgment of how much this director contributed to, like, how much their style and talent contributed to the success of the movie over if another director were going to try to make them the same movie. So it's a little uh, abstract, but... 
I think definitely a worthwhile conversation, though, of talking about how much a director contributes to the success of a film. I think it's a it's a really interesting uh, concept to to look at. And one of the uh, directors that we're looking at, because he has a new movie coming out, and this doesn't happen very often that he has a new movie coming out. Uh, Steven Soderbergh this weekend is releasing his new film Logan Lucky which I am super excited for. I can't wait to get to the theater and see this. Um, introducing Daniel Craig as Joe Bang. Um, but we are going to talk about um, the war of Steven Soderbergh movies and what are the movies that he has contributed the most to in um, looking at its success. So Todd, why don't you start us off and talk about uh, what you think, uh, the film you think that Soderbergh has contributed the most to. Okay, uh, the one that I kept coming back to when I was thinking about this was is actually his very first movie, which was Sex, Lies, and Videotape, which is a very low-budget, minimalist-style movie that pretty much changed the game for m- most independent film, and it came out in 1989. It's, it's a, a movie that has like really extended dialogue scenes that aren't like, super flashy dialogue, like a Tarantino-type thing. It's, it, it really is more real, and it's really sort of steamy, and it, it pretty much is, like, the sexiest movie that I've ever seen, and it actually does not have any sex in the movie. It's totally just a dialogue-driven movie, and, uh, and something that I couldn't really picture a whole lot of other writer-directors being able to accomplish any of that with the resources that he had. And uh, it also has career-best performances from the whole cast, especially Laura San Giacomo, who is really her only significant movie role and one of my favorite movie performances by a predominantly TV actor. And, and James Spader is also great in it, and Andy McDowell and Peter Gallagher. It's it's a, just a really great movie, and it's... One thing with Soderbergh is it seems like when people are in a Soderbergh movie, the, the, like actors, they'll do something that they haven't really done before. And uh, it's almost Sidney Lumet-esque in that way. And uh, yeah, this movie is a prime example of that. If you had to pick a director that could have made this film other than Soderbergh, could you come up with one? Well... If I were to pick a movie that I would say is like it, sort of, it would be Richard Linklater's Tape. So maybe he could try to do it. And uh, Gus Van Sant also has a lot of like really indie movies, like like almost no budget movies that like it might look something like this. But Mike Nichols is the only one I could really come up with that because Closer has a similar aura to it. But and like that that'd be the closest thing I come up with is Mike Nichols. Interesting. I haven't seen Sex, Lies, and Videotape. It's a film that I really want to see, but I haven't had a chance to. I think Soderbergh is one of the more interesting directors out there. Um, What I've always appreciated about him is you can tell it's a Soderbergh movie simply by looking at it. Like some, Some directors just have a certain look or certain tendencies that you can pick out. Uh, For instance, you can tell when you're watching a Clint Eastwood movie because of how he lights a movie. I think Clint Eastwood movies are always white. He always whitewashes his background. Um, when it, 
Soderbergh, you look at any of his movies, they're yellow. Every one of his films, especially recently, it has he has that yellow light backdrop on it, and it just adds such a um, such a warm a warmth and uh, and softness to everything that he everything that he shoots. Yeah, that's a that's a good point. He also has really interesting camera angles too. I've always uh, I've always noticed that. And he doesn't seem to have any tendencies. That's the other thing that I like. Uh, he makes all different kinds of films, but still in some way, they're still Soderbergh films. Like, you've got a director like Mark Forster who jumps from genre to genre to genre. Um, I mean, he made two Bond films, but he also made Finding Neverland, and he made... Uh, and he makes films in all sorts of different genres, but they feel completely different. Kite Runner is another good example of a Mark Forster movie. Uh, but for Soderbergh, he does these different genres, but they all still feel like a Soderbergh film. It's rare that he can put his stamp on a film, uh, even though it is a completely different subject matter. The film that I was looking at, uh, thinking of uh, how he contributed to its success is Magic Mike, which we talked about a little bit in our last podcast as we were doing our power rankings of uh, Matthew McConaughey performances. Magic Mike is a film I remember when it came out, or when the trailer came out, seeing what it is, and I was like, okay, male strippers, Channing Tatum, Matthew McConaughey, what is going on here? How did this film get made? And again, then you get to the end and see, oh, Soderbergh made it. Oh, that's how it got made. And it's probably going to be pretty good. Simply by being a part of a, of a project like that gave it credibility and gave it the voice it needed and turned what could have been a terrible movie into being a pretty solid movie that garnered consideration for having a sequel and they made one. I mean, it, Magic Mike could have turned into Showgirls. It could have turned into Striptease. But instead, it was something different because Soderbergh was involved in it. Yeah, I agree. I mean, it, it totally sounds sleazy on paper, but the fact that Soderbergh was making the movie really gave it the credentials it needed and got the cast that it, it got and... Yeah, there's no way McConaughey's in that if it's not Soderbergh. There's no way Channing Tatum is in it. There's no way any of those guys that were in that film make it unless there's a guy like Steven Soderbergh behind it. Well, Alex Pettifer probably still would have been in it. But. And he, yeah, yeah. He, he wasn't as big of a name at that point. Yeah, he had, what, I Am Number 4. That was, like, his only thing, right? Anyway, yeah, so I think who, you're who, right. do you, who do you think who else could have uh, directed this movie? Is there is there another director that you I've think been trying could to have... Th uh... I've been trying to think of that, and I haven't been able to find someone that would have given the film the credibility that would have actually made it. Like, there are some directors that could have taken this movie and done it, but I don't see very many guys, maybe like a guy like Linklater again, that would have taken this film and actually made it 
and made it something credible unless it's a smaller time guy trying to look for a, a big payday. Um, I don't think, I honestly don't think it gets made without a guy like Soderberg um, and his credibility behind it. So yeah, maybe Linkletter, but I don't think he would have he would have taken it on. Um, I can't really think of any others. It is set in Texas, right? And uh, maybe Linklater would have done it. Maybe you never know. You never know. Uh, I mean, <laughs> yeah. I I don't th- I don't know any other director that would have taken on because Soderbergh pretty much plays like plays his own game essentially. I I mean I I I think uh, the same movie could have been made by Paul Thomas Anderson, but there's no way that he would have done it. And I would have been yeah, intrigued. Yeah, see, there's by other like, guys that could do it, but they wouldn't do it. Yeah, someone like Sam Mendes, possibly. Alright, I, I I think it'd be more like someone like maybe Todd Haynes, maybe maybe that would be something that would uh, you know, I, it would it would look a lot different, but you might. But again, you're talking about I don't know. You're talking about having these directors that are not known for doing this type of film, and they're the only ones we can come up with as being guys that could be considered for it because Soderbergh made it into an actual film. Instead of this sleazy thing that gets Channing Tatum out of his clothes. Well, yeah, I mean, um, what's interesting is, like, you mentioned Showgirls, and that's directed by a pretty credible director, Paul Verhoeven, and it still failed dramatically. But, I mean, Soderbergh somehow made this one different. I'm, I'm not really sure how he did it. But, it was, I mean, obviously it was a massive hit. It had a sequel... Yeah, it actually garnered award consideration. Oh yeah, I don't know. Verhoeven would have made this film. He he probably would have. He probably would have tried to. Uh, <laughs> like he he goes back to the same genres a lot too. Obviously, like when he did L, I mean there was Basic Instinct type uh, feel to it. I mean he, maybe he would have gone back and tried to redeem himself after the maybe the biggest flop of all time in Showgirls. But again. He would have he would have done what he did with Showgirls and over sexualize and over sensualize it and make it into something that was way further beyond what it needed to be and what made it good. And that's why Soderbergh was the perfect one for it. Yeah, I agree. Soderbergh's a special a special director and they're I hope that he keeps unretiring because he's Yeah, I was gonna say the same times. thing. Yeah, he keeps retiring and he keeps coming out of it. And he's done some decent stuff recently. I mean, since Magic Mike, he did he did one of my favorite movies of his, Side Effects. He did Behind the Candelabra uh, on, uh, I think it was HBO. Um, yeah. He had The Nick, which was his show. We talked about that earlier with Clive Owen. And now he's got Logan Lucky, which just looks hilarious. It looks like he's going back to um, kind of a similar vibe he had in his Oceans movies. Yeah, he, he loves... Uh the heist movies and yeah he's done a bunch of different uh genre heist movies and that one looks looks like it could be just as good as any of the other ones he's taken on so overall i think it sounds like soderbergh has a pretty high war on anything he makes yeah his stamp is on every movie he makes for sure and not not only in in what he contributes to it but the fact that the films that he makes might not have chance of getting made unless he's attached to it, which is a sign of a truly great director when he can pick his own projects and really pick projects that only he could make. 
there there are few that have that capability of um, this is this film doesn't get made unless Soderbergh is involved. I mean, what you could say that about Tarantino, Scorsese, maybe a couple others, but not many. Well, what's also unique about Soderbergh is that he pretty much does everything on his movies. He writes, he directs, he is the cinematographer, he's the editor. Like he he does everything on his movies. Like Robert Rodriguez is the only other guy I know that really does that. So it's probably easy for him to get those movies made, especially because he doesn't have a massive budget. He doesn't have to pay all these other like technicians and stuff. Yeah, he's he's completely reinventing what it means to be a filmmaker, because he's making every aspect of the film. All right, so that's our uh, war conversation on Steven Soderbergh. All right, now we're moving on to something I think that will be involved in every one of our podcasts, and that is a power ranking. You can't top that. Yeah, definitely. Exactly. Exactly. Power rankings. For this podcast, we're looking at... uh, just a week and a half ago, on August 8th, Dustin Hoffman celebrated his 80th birthday. It's kind of ridiculous to think that Dustin Hoffman is 80 years old. Uh, he's still making films. He's still out there working. Um, he's had some incredible performances over the years. And we decided to do a top five Dustin Hoffman performances. Um, and it's performances, right? We're not doing movies. Performances. Performances performances okay so my number five uh dustin hoffman performance is a little scene movie that really wasn't very well reviewed but i really enjoyed it and i thought he had an amazing role in it and it is the 1997 film mad city uh in this film he plays a reporter a uh, news reporter that is uh, finds himself in a bank that is being robbed by um, John Travolta. And John Travolta is a disgruntled um, security guard who has been fired. He's lost his job, and he decides to hold the bank hostage. And Dustin Hoffman goes into this, uh, goes into this bank thinking, this is a news story, and I'm going to exploit this guy. And... It's one of those great performances where you see throughout the movie him change. And he goes from going in because it's a news story and comes out um, a different man because he learned who this man was and that he shouldn't be taking advantage of him the way he was. Um, He does some great things in this role. Like I said, it's not a very um, well-thought-of movie, it's not a very it's a very forgettable film in his filmography, but I thought he gave an absolutely outstanding performance, and it was worth mentioning in his uh, in his top performances. So I'm going with Mad City number five. I have not seen that movie, but uh, it sounds interesting. I see it's directed by Costa Gavras, so that's a uh, that gives it some clout. Maybe I'll check it out. I think it's definitely worth uh, checking out for sure. Um, it was a film that I wasn't really expecting much out of, and then as you as you watch and as you get into it, you start to see 
um, what Dustin Hoffman sees and start to see that change. And um, it's great when you can have those films where you have a guy who um, is in a situation for selfish reasons and then comes out of it understanding what uh, what it's really all about. Okay. Uh, I, what I find interesting is that I was thinking, when I was thinking about Dustin Hoffman, I was going back, and it's been 20 years since his last Oscar nomination, and that was the same year wag the dog came out the same year as that and well and i i didn't really think anything he's done since then has really was really even worth mentioning for this list so i find that interesting like you had the same cutoff point just a different movie but he does have the Mayorra stories coming out this year but noah bombach movie then that could change that it, it looks really good and he looks really interesting in it yeah. okay my number five i have uh uh, Rain Man, his Oscar, his second Oscar win. He plays Raymond Babbitt, and this would be higher, but I think he sometimes is outshined by Tom Cruise in the movie. Like that's not really a popular opinion, but I think Tom that is one of Tom Cruise's absolute best performances. And uh, I think other actors could have played the role, maybe Robin Williams or Philip Seymour Hoffman, but that's kind of unfair because he could play anything. But this is definitely Dustin Hoffman's most acting that he's ever done. And he's got, it's probably the most memorable scenes and like a full body commitment to his role. And he really sort of disappears into the role. But he does have other ones that I think that he, that are that are more irreplaceable than than this one. This is just his, probably his most, uh, most memorable role and obviously his slam dunk Oscar win. Yeah, I have Rain Man on my list too. It's coming up a little later. Um, I agree with a lot of what you said. Uh, especially, I I love Tom Cruise in that movie too. One of these times, we're gonna have to do a do a Tom Cruise power ranking. I don't know if I could keep it to just five though. Uh, yeah. My number four on uh, power ranking of Dustin Hoffman is really his breakout role, and that is the role of Ben Braddock in the 1967 film The Graduate. Uh, this film kind of put Dustin Hoffman on the map um, as a as a young man who uh, is being seduced by his uh, parents friend and him just trying to find his way through through life and um, it's a real coming of age story Mike Nichols directed um, it really showed that who Dustin Hoffman could be as an actor um, great film uh, it's been a little while since I've seen it, but it's a it's definitely an unforgettable uh, movie and what really made him the star that he became. Yeah, that'll be coming up on my list a little later as well. I one thing I'll mention is yeah, Mike Nichols I think is probably the best director of actors that that ever was, and that it really yeah that really mo- movie really is what made Dustin Hoffman Dustin Hoffman. Absolutely. Okay, my number four, I have All the President's Men. Uh, he plays Carl Bernstein. It's the movie about the journalists and Watergate. And I think he and Redford are probably the most underrated part of the movie. Like, they like they pretty much got no attention, no awards, no appreciation in that movie. And that's sort of the case in, like, most journalism movies in general. I'm not really sure why that is, but uh, you, you just... It's like a... It takes a lot of control and diction and dedication 
and they really sort of like fade into the background but there are a lot of really good scenes with Dustin Hoffman and he uh it's it's a it's a performance that is overlooked by a lot of people but it it is absolutely one of his uh top achievements I love all the president's men it just was off my list I left it off so I could put Mad City on but um yeah, absolutely incredible movie, absolutely incredible performances, and the the tandem of uh, of Hoffman and Redford in that movie is amazing. Yes, it um, is. My, my number three uh, on my list is Tootsie. Uh, just an absolutely wonderful, entertaining film where you don't really see many other guys that could have pulled this off. Obviously, Robin Williams, because he did in Mrs. Doubtfire, where you have Dustin Hoffman playing a guy, an unsuccessful actor, who disguises, disguises himself as a woman so that he can uh, get a job. Because there's more jobs out there for, for women than men in, in what he's looking for. And it's, a, it's so much fun. Again, not many people could pull this off the way he does. Uh, he really disappears into the role. It's another Oscar nomination for him and well-deserved. Uh, I love this movie. Um, it's one of my top of that year. Um, and he is absolutely incredible in it. Yeah, the, uh, that movie didn't quite make my list. Uh, it is a great great movie, great performance, though. And I actually think that there there's like four or five, like, top-notch performances in that movie too so yeah. yeah great great film and of course philip seymour hoffman could have played that role as you know <laughs> well one of these days we're gonna have to do a segment of what role couldn't philip seymour hoffman have played <laughs> i mean I, that would be a fun game Wooderson. to play he could have played wooderson right <laughs> oh yeah of course he could have played wooderson it would have been a lot creepier, but he could have played Wooderson. <laughs> I would, I would pay to see that. All right, okay. My number three, I have uh, his first Oscar win, playing Ted Kramer in Kramer versus Kramer, which is um, someone uh, on our website. It might be his number one movie of all time. Someone that will remain Zachless. Yes, <laughs> precisely. <laughs> And I'm not the biggest fan of the movie, but the, the performance is, is really uh, quite extraordinary. He, it's probably his most humane character he's ever done, his most relatable character, and uh, it's m probably the most emotional role that I've ever seen him play. And, like, the audience feels what he feels, and the the back and forth he has with Meryl Streep are just, like, I mean, they're just electric scenes and, like, ma master class in acting type stuff. Crime vs. Kramer definitely... One of Dustin Hoffman's best uh, best performances and uh, a well-deserved Oscar win. I'm going to keep talking about it because it's my number two. Um, I, I agree with everything you said. Absolutely outstanding. It's um, For someone that can get a little over the top, he really is kind of restrained in some of uh, his acting here, uh, which is what makes it great. The chemistry between him and Meryl Streep is absolutely incredible. Uh, like you said, you're you're right with him and feel everything he feels. And the thing that I find interesting is, it, you are throughout the movie, you're meant to feel like Meryl Streep is the bad guy in this whole thing. 
But Dustin Hoffman isn't really a good guy either. Um, he, he doesn't... No one is really the one comes out as a hero in this film. And uh, in a film like that, with the subject content of, you know, a divorce and the, the kid caught in the middle, it was a really amazing film, especially for when it came out in 1979. They didn't make films about that subject like that back then. Um, it feels like a very modern film. Uh, and Dustin Hoffman shows, yeah, absolutely how wonderful of an actor he is. Yeah. Glad we uh, pretty much agree on that. Pretty much. We're close. Okay, my number two <laughs> is uh, his 1974 performance in Lenny. Plays Lenny Bruce, the uh, unhinged uh, political insult comic, essentially. And uh, it's really unlike anything he's ever done. I don't think he's ever been so as unlikable as he was in this role, but uh, he's crazy, and it's a really, really interesting movie. It's a Bob Fosse movie, and uh, so, you know, it's kind of wild, and uh, it's really good, really dark, and uh, we need more characters like this. Like, uh, there's, it's been forever. Like, I, I thought the comedian could be something, like, really mean, but it ended up being sort of, like, more typical. But, uh, yeah, this character and this role is... Uh, Something that Dustin Hoffman has never touched since, and I don't, I don't know, I don't know who else would have actually done this character at that time. I had a feeling there would be a few things on your list that I haven't seen, and Lenny is one of them. But it looks like it's definitely something that's worth checking out. It's a good list for variety because uh, <laughs> I haven't seen one of yours. You haven't seen a couple of these. It's, uh, it's good. It's different well, than and, the McConaughey one. That's true. Well, and and with a as lengthy of a career as Dustin Hoffman has had, it's good to have some variety. Plus, he makes all sorts of different types of films, too. Um, so that gets us to number one on my list, and number one on my list is one that you already talked about a little bit, and that's Rain Man, um, playing Raymond Babbitt. It takes a special kind of actor to disappear into a role like this, and um, he becomes this character in such a subtle way that... Um, that it is absolutely amazing to see. It's one of my favorite films of the 80s, um, where you have Tom Cruise on the top of his game, and I really feel he gives such a great performance because he is being elevated by the fact that Dustin Hoffman has completely transformed himself into Raymond Babbitt and become this character. Uh, absolutely incredible film, um, and absolutely incredible performance i think it's i i have it number one i think it's his best performance of all time yeah there are a few performances like that and a few movies that actually work that well i i think what one thing that he's aided by in this movie is how his character is written too because he's he's got a lot of he's got a lot of physical quirks but he also has like a really well-written character and uh yeah i think the relationship he has with tom cruise is makes it what it is essentially even with uh even with that the one of the best moments in the film is right at the end um when the two of them are sitting there and dustin hoffman is able to show that connection that he now has with his brother simply by just leaning forward 
and resting his head on his, on Tom Cruise's head. It is, and and which was a completely authentic, gen, um, genuine moment that was unscripted, but it shows it showed that connection and showed that character in such a powerful way. I loved it. Okay, and now for my number one, I have a movie you already mentioned, The Graduate. And uh, it really, I mean, it was his first leading role in his, it's probably his most iconic character. And it, it, what strikes me about this performance is it's a, it's a performance of facial expressions. And, uh, like, it has a rhythm to it that is only matched by, like, the, the soundtrack. And uh, it's, it really is a role that is as wide-eyed as he probably was as an actor. And... Uh, his character and like we really feel what he's feeling and like it really comes off and you could just tell immediately from the start of the movie that this guy was going to be a star and it was and i i don't know if he i i don't think he's ever actually topped that i'm uh, i'm glad you mentioned the soundtrack because i can't think of the graduate without thinking of that uh of that paul simon soundtrack it's amazing it it, it more than almost any other film does that soundtrack define the film or very very few films have a soundtrack that defines a film quite like that one does yeah yeah which makes uh the understated performance by dustin hoffman even more even more impressive that it is still is able to stand out as well yeah okay so let's look back uh do you have any honorable mentions todd uh the ones i just missed my list were midnight cowboy and papillon Okay. What about you? Uh, see, and I knew there were there's some big ones I haven't seen. I have not seen Midnight Cowboy. That's one that I was I was expecting to hear on your list, and it it just missed. Uh, I had a few that I uh, wanted to mention. Like I said, all the President's Men just missed my list, and then a couple favorite performances that are a little a uh, little more recent. Um, I love the film Outbreak, and he's the star of that film. Uh, worth mentioning there. He does a great job there. And one of his more um, unique performances uh, in recent years uh, was his role in I Heart Huckabees, which I thought was a was a really interesting performance and worth mentioning. But like you said, he really hasn't had much over the last what twenty years. Yeah. Uh, he keeps on getting these little bit parts um, that aren't really worth much. I, I mean, he, he's still working, but it's, you know, playing a random guy in The Cobbler or voicing another Kung Fu Panda movie. I never saw the TV show Luck. I heard he was very good in that. But, I mean, for the most part, he hasn't really done much. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I know his only major award nomination last, like, 20 years was Last Chance Harvey, and I don't know anyone that actually watched that movie. I've seen Last Chance Harvey. Well, Actually, halfway decent film. I thought about mentioning it uh, as simply as something that is worth mentioning from the last 20 years. Um, but with the, other, with the other films, Finding I wasn't Neverland. able to say it. I could have mentioned Finding Neverland. I thought about mentioning Stranger Than Fiction. I've written books on Little Did He Know. Anyways, so that's our... Uh, that's our uh, our thoughts on uh, Dustin Hoffman. Hopefully, he has a uh, he has one or two uh, great uh, performances left um, 
in his filmography coming up. So to recap, uh, my power rankings, number five, Mad City. Number four, The Graduate. Number three, Tootsie. Number two, Kramer versus Kramer. And number one, Rain Man. My number five is Rain Man. Number four, All the President's Men. Number three, Kramer versus Kramer. Number two, Lenny. And number one, The Graduate. All right. Now it's time to move on to one of my favorite parts, and that is Oscar trivia. Todd is the master. Are you ready? Well, let's hope so. Oscar trivia. So, Todd, we have selected another random year for you to uh, show off your movie knowledge. Um, You struggled a little bit last time, but let's face it, anyone would struggle with 1945 Oscars. Uh, Our our random uh, year that has been selected this time is something a little more recent and something I think you're going to do a lot better at. And that is the 2015 Oscars. It was just a couple years ago. And uh, again, just to remind everyone, we are, uh, when we talk about the 2015 Oscars, we're talking about the 2015 movies that were nominated at the 2016 Oscars. Now, this is a more recent one. It's just a couple years ago. So, Todd, I'm going to ask you for all of the major nominees. Let's see if you can come up with all the major nominees from the major categories and see how well you do. Are you ready? I'm ready. Okay, so let's start with Best Picture. Just so you know, there are eight Best Picture nominees this year. Eight. Okay. It was won by Spotlight. That is correct. Uh, And there was The Big Short. Yes. Uh, Mad Max Fury Road. Correct. The Revenant. Correct. Brooklyn. Correct. Three more. Room. Correct. The Martian. One more. Bridge of Spies. Well done. Eight for eight so far. How about Best Actor? Leo. Leo. (laughs) Correct. Um, Matt Damon. Correct. For The Martian. Uh, Michael Fassbender. Leo. Steve Jobs. Correct. Steve Jobs. Um, I'm uh, drawing a blank here. A couple of these. I noticed. Think of the other winners. He may have won the year before as well. Uh, Eddie Redmayne for uh, The Danish Girl. And your last one is one that... Uh, Tends to be forgotten, but was possibly the coolest first nomination of uh, that Oscars. Known more for television. Oh, that would be uh, Brian Cranston for Trumbo. There it is. Okay. Best Actress. Best Actress was won by Brie Larson for Room. Brie Larson? Brie Larson. Um... There was Kate Blanchett for Carol. Correct. Saoirse Ronan for Brooklyn. Correct. 
one of the go-tos of the last five years. Jennifer Lawrence and Joy. Correct. I want to say this is a year that Meryl Streep was not nominated. Correct. One of the few. Oh. This one, another British nomination, films only nomination, kind of snuck in there. Oh, uh, Charlotte Rampling. There you go. 45 years. For 45 years. All right. Best Supporting Actor. That was won by Mark Rylance. Yes. And Mark Spies. Ruffalo. I still uh, remember that moment where everyone thought he was going to say Ruffalo and he said Rylance. I know. Everyone was really disappointed, too. Yep. Tom Hardy for The Revenant. Christian Correct. Bale for The Big Short. Correct. And... Sylvester Stallone for uh, Creed. There you go. All right. Best Supporting Actress. That was won by... Alicia Vikander. Danish Girl. Should have been Ex Machina, but it was the Danish Girl. Like, third best performance of the year. Um, Yeah. And there's Rooney Mara for Carol. Correct. Kate Winslet and Steve Jobs. Correct. Rachel McAdams and Spotlight. Correct. And... Uh, Jennifer Jason Lee and The Hateful Eight. <laughs> yes. There it is. <laughs> yes. All right. How about director? That was the second straight win for Alejandro Gonzalez and Yaritu. Mm-hmm. For and The Revenant. Thomas McCarthy was nominated for Spotlight. Correct. Lenny Abrahamson was nominated for Room. Correct. Adam McKay for Big Short. SNL writer to Oscar nominee. Yes. And George Miller for Mad Max Fury Road. That is correct. All right. Do you want to try screenplay or you want to leave that alone? Uh, I can try. Let's go for it. Why don't you give it a try? So. All right. Original screenplay. Original screenplay was won by uh, The Big Short or not? Big Short won Adapted adapted, Screenplay. uh, Spotlight. Spotlight. I don't know how I mixed that up. Spotlight won original. Okay, and I believe Ex Machina was nominated. Correct. Uh... I'm thinking most of the major players were adapted. Most of them were. There's one other uh, Best Picture nominee in there. Written by the Coen brothers. Uh, Bridge of Spies. Bridge of Spies. Then the animated movie. Inside Out. And the film that uh, a lot of people thought should have been nominated for picture, but wasn't. It got its sole nomination for screenplay. There it is. Mentioned once again. (laughs) All right. And adapted screenplay. You already got the winner, which is the big short. Then there was Brooklyn. Correct. 
the Martian. Correct. Carol and Rune. Correct. Correct. Good job. Yeah, I remember that was right. mainly that those screenplays, the two leading screenplay contenders going into that were Steve Jobs and The Hateful Eight, and neither of them were nominated. Right. Right. Okay. You did much better this time than you did last time. Yeah, I think that 70 years made a difference. Probably. Probably. Uh, this was a really interesting Oscars where you had... Um, you had a couple films that were setting records for uh, numbers of nominations. Wasn't it Revenant and Mad Max Fury Road? Yeah. Nominated for, like, every technical category? Yeah, I believe... I think it was the first time that's happened. Or maybe it was the second, I can't remember, but yeah. Yeah, I want to say, like, one other film had done it before that, and then two did it in the same year. Uh, you also had... Uh, Sylvester Stallone being nominated for Creed, he became only the sixth actor to be nominated twice for uh, for portraying the same character. For bonus points, could you potentially come up with the other five? Uh, nominated multiple times for playing the same character? Yes. Well, I'd be Al Pacino for playing Michael Corleone. Correct. Uh, Paul Newman for Fast Eddie Felsen. Correct. Bing Crosby for the... Correct. Tell the St. Mary's and going my way. Um, Kate Blanchett for Elizabeth. Correct. And... I'd be impressed if you pulled this one out. Hmm. I don't know if I have it. Peter O'Toole. For what character? Beckett and something? Uh, yeah, Beckett and the Lion in Winter, it looks like. Playing uh, King Henry II. Hmm. I did not know that. I didn't either. Uh, I think one of the other things that is very significant about this Oscars is it is um, it was the second year in a row where the story coming out around the nominations was hashtag Oscars so white. And they also just happened to be hosted by Chris Rock, which I think was a very interesting choice considering the what was going on around it. I can see we did much better on this one than we did in on the last one. So well done, Todd. Well, I've seen all the movies too. That helps. That does help. That does help. Like you see, You saw every movie we mentioned there. So, we are just about out of time on our podcast uh, for today, but we have one thing to leave you with, and that is our quote of the day. Strawberries. Not the cheese. I love those redheads. Quote of the day! For today's quote of the day, we decided to pick a couple quotes from the different topics we've been talking about. In uh, honor of Steven Soderbergh, I chose a movie of his I chose a quote from the informant the Matt Damon in uh, his brilliant inner monologue that he has throughout the entire movie playing Mark Whitaker he goes on a rant that makes absolutely no sense but is also interesting at the same time because that's all he does in the movie and so his quote is <laughs> when polar bears hunt they crouch 
down by a hole in the ice and wait for a seal to pop up. They keep one paw over their nose so that they blend in because they've got black noses. They blend in perfect, perfectly if not for the nose. So the question is, how do they know their noses are black? From looking at other polar bears? Did they see their reflections in the water and think, I'd be invisible if not for that? That seems like a lot of thinking for a bear. <laughs> uh, and throughout that movie, there are I need to watch that movie again. Things that like that. It's just like, like wow, I can't... I, who wrote this? This is genius. And uh, it's just one of the most interesting characters because he doesn't have to talk and you know what he's thinking because he's telling you in his inner monologue. Yeah, I really need to watch that one again. It's been, it's been way too long. All right, so for my quote, uh, in honor of Dustin Hoffman, I pulled one of my favorite quotes out of Rain Man. And uh, Dustin Hoffman and Tom Cruise are driving along and it is discovered that... Um, Raymond is not wearing any underwear uh, because uh, he's not wearing the pair that Tom Cruise gave him. And he pulls it out of his pocket and says, I have it right here. And and Charlie, Tom Cruise's character, is like, well, why aren't you wearing any underwear? And he says, I get my boxer shorts from Kmart in Cincinnati. And uh, then Tom Cruise throws the underwear out of the car and you get... Oh no! Underwear on the highway. And, yeah, that's and a there is my classic part. There's my Dustin Hoffman quote. Yeah, it's pretty great. Kmart. I could have got Hanes thirty-two. Came, yes, I could have gone with Wapner in ten minutes, but I went. I went with underwear on the highway instead. All these wonderful prizes. Well, that's about all we have today for the Almost Sideways podcast. Uh, be sure to look us up. Uh, we are now on iTunes. Find us on iTunes. Um, search for Almost Sideways, all one word. Please rate and uh, rate us and review us. That way we get seen by more people. Um, also, heard. heard by more people. Find all our other... Th- heard by more people, not seen. Thank you very much, Todd. Um, also find us in all our other platforms, almostsideways.com. Uh, we are on Twitter. Uh, we have our buddy Adam on uh, on YouTube. Uh, we are kind of all over the place. Look for us. You shall find us. And we will see you next time on the Almost Sideways podcast. Bye. So that was a disaster. Catch you on a Monday.